Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday. Late on Tuesday, but it's still on a Tuesday. Today, we're going to talk with Shotgun Spratling about USC's big win over Idaho over the weekend. Talk about what's been going on at practice this week. A lot of questions you guys have sent in. Um, so we want to make an interactive podcast. If you have questions for us, and you've been sending in a lot, so keep sending them in. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. You can leave us a voicemail by calling 641 641- 715-3900, extension 816-646. Or you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail right from your device. Of course, you can subscribe on iTunes or any of those podcast apps, Stitcher, any of those. Go to iTunes.com slash Podcast. Leave us some positive feedback. You guys have been doing that uh, a lot lately. We really appreciate that. It helps the rankings. And helps more people listen to the Peristyle Podcast. We've been around since 2008. And we want to welcome in Shotgun Spratling to talk about the Trojans. What's up, Shotgun? How you doing? Hanging in there. How about you, Ryan? Uh, hanging in there is a good word for it. You know, it's a, <laughs> you know, it's a big week, uh, with Stanford coming up. Um, so yeah, there's, a, you know, we got to see, uh, practice earlier today. A little rain to start things, but it kind of yeah, cleared up. What's got... up with that? What's is Sanford? You know, bringing rain down here with them from the Bay Area or something? I mean, I, I'm not appreciative of all this rain. I, I'm glad for Southern California to get some rain, but it needs to happen. You know, either before or after practice, not during. Yeah. Oh, well, it's the beginning. It was kind of before, and then it just kind of got hot and muggy by the end of practice. But at, le- at least it wasn't like pouring down rain all through practice. True. Very true. Uh, but you know, this, I was talking to, uh, David Woods when we do our Pac-12 podcast and injuries kind of pop up all over, you know, the conference, all over the Pac-12. This team's been relatively, everyone wants to, if you want to knock on wood or something, uh, relatively healthy and seems to be getting guys back as opposed to losing guys. Yeah. So, you know, kind of crazy. The only guy that's missed the, the last game really that is in the main, you know, top two rotations was Lamar Dawson uh Justin Davis came back and now Lamar Dawson actually was practicing full practice today uh we're still not sure if he's gonna be able to go on on Saturday we'll see how the the cracked ribs react over the next couple days and whether if he takes a shot you know how it feels after that uh but you know he's healthy Jordan Simmons is probably the only guy that you know is on the currently out list Kevon Seymour a little bit slowed this week but uh, that one's kind of uh, questionable too. They said he tweaked his knee during the game, but he, you know, he played pretty much the entire time. It didn't seem like he was coming out any more or less than normal. Um, and he didn't, wasn't limping or anything after the game. So, so that one will be a little bit, that one will be a wait and see kind of thing too. He practiced for the most part all of today. It was limited a little bit, but besides that, the, the Trojans are, you know, really healthy right now and, uh, that's going to be key because you're going against a Stanford team where you, you, you know, with the physicality that they're known for, you, you might lose a guy or two, uh, this week. Uh, certainly. Well, let's jump right into the questions, I guess, shotgun. Uh, you know, it's, uh, there's some reaction from the Idaho game, some people getting ready for Stanford. And, uh, Nick wrote in for the Marino Valley 
And he says, I noticed the kickoffs uh, by Alex Ward were not going uh, deep into the end zones. Alex is not big in stature, nor is Matt Boremeister. Are, are there limit, are, are there, I'm sorry, are they limited in their kickoff distance because of their size and were recruited primarily for field goals and PAT talents? I miss the booming kickoffs of past USC kickers that were seldom returned. Please comment, Nick in Moreno Valley. I mean, you look at kickers and it's never about their actual stature. Uh, you know, how it's kind of like a golf swing. You can get a burly guy out there and, and it's not going to hit as far necessarily as a guy with a sweet stroke. Uh, you know, the, the leg kick is all the, the big thing. Now, granted, you can build on that strength a little bit and add to it. Um, but you know, you can get a guy that's 5'10 and can kick a ball just as far or farther than a guy that's 6'5. It doesn't play into, uh, you know, your overall build necessarily is you know how well you can swing your leg and with with Alex Wood you know he's gotten a a lot of detractors it seems like the first couple weeks were not kicking balls I guess out of the end zone but if you look at the starting position of opposing teams nobody is starting you know at the 40 yard line or anything the only time is you know the couple ones he's had that have kicked to because they kick it directionally on, on the kickoffs usually towards the left side this past week and you know, he had one that hit the ground and took two bounces and went out of bounds, you know, bad luck on a bounce. But, you know, they're letting their return, their kickoff coverage unit go down and make a tackle, and that unit has a number of starters on it, and it's a team, it's a special team that they really trust in to go and make a play. And it's not like you're seeing a guy bust free for, to get a big gain or even a, a complete run back for a touchdown or anything. The other opposing teams, instead of starting on the 25 if there was a touchback, would probably average out to around the 20 to 22, I would guess, just off the top of my head. I haven't, you know, looked at the stats. It's something I wanted to actually look up um, before this weekend's uh, start. But, you know, I think it's it's part that they – I don't know if they necessarily – if they could boom him out, would they? Possibly. However, they, they played into the fact that he's going to kick it about three yards deep in the end zone most time, between three yards in front of the end line to three yards deep. And then they're going to go cover the kick, and they've done a great job of it the first two games. No, I, I agree with you. And, uh, you know, I, I watch the special team stuff a lot. Uh, I thought Chris Alvarado did a much better job. Not that he had a lot of opportunities, but, you know, there was one punt where he was around his own 20, and, I, you know, he boomed it. It was like over 50 yards and got it to, like, maybe the, the 30 or 35-yard line on the other side of the field, way better than what we saw against Arkansas State. And I thought Alex Woods' kickoffs were better uh, versus Idaho than Arkansas State, too. Yeah, I definitely think there was an improvement there. And, you know, they kind of got on those guys, I feel like, after the first week where, you know, weren't quite satisfied with, with what they, the production they got out of those two guys. And they, you know, produced this past week. And if they can build on it each week, that's what you look for in your team. Yeah. You want to see that development. Um, let's go to, I think it's Tana, T-A-N-A. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Uh, I said, I love seeing the freshman running backs play and kill it. But we had this situation a couple of times already with three freshman backs, and it didn't turn out too well. So in 2006, it was C.J. Gable, Manuel Moody, Stephon Johnson. 2007, Joe McKnight, Mark Tyler, Broderick Green. Some guys transferred. Uh, Gable was regulated special teams, and Tyler didn't play till his senior year. Will these freshmen be different? That's from Tana. Well, I mean, anytime you bring in three running backs in the same class and, and you don't redshirt any of them, then they're going to be competing the entire time. Now, that, that may cause someone to say, you know what, I'm, I, this isn't working out for me. I'm going to leave. We've seen that with Ty Isaac, who, who left and went back closer to home in Illinois. Um, you've seen a couple of transfers over the past couple of years 
uh, the kid that transferred to Notre Dame from the Bay Area, who I'm blanking off the top of my head. But you've seen also the guys like Justin Davis and Trey Madden that have stuck around, and you see what they're capable of doing. You know, those two guys combined only uh, were in for 25 plays this past game, but look at the impact they had, you know, while they were in there. And they got Ronald Jones a lot of carries, and everybody's really excited about Ronald Jones. You're seeing also Aka Cedric Ware. You're seeing him on some special teams here and there as well. So he's going to have a role there, it looks like. So even though they did burn his red shirt, then, you know, it looks like he's still going to be able to contribute for them as well. So you're seeing the guys each get their opportunities. Now, you build that competition up and, you know, you say Trey Madden's going to be more than likely gone. He could potentially petition for another year after this year. But if he's gone, you got Justin Davis left and you got three guys that are going to be battling, you know, for those either second carries or even battling for that first uh, team reps with Justin Davis. So as long as there's open competition, I think that it keeps the guys motivated and interested and, and much more inter- much more um, competitive than if you have one bell cow and you're not giving anybody else any opportunities. You're giving, you know, you're giving Trey Madden or whoever may be 35 carries a game and you got five other carries for the rest of the game that, that Justin Davis is getting. No, these guys know that there's opportunities and if they make their mark, then they're going to get more and more chances. I mean, Ronald Jones went from getting 10 plays in the first game to he was in for 23 plays this uh, past game. Now, granted, some of that's because you're blowing out an opponent and you want to, you know, work the clock and those type of things. But, you know, he's definitely proven that he is capable of, of being out there and he's got to do some other things outside of carrying the ball, you know, his blocking and his pass uh, catching ability, those type of things to work on. But he's going to get opportunities. And then Dominic Davis is a little bit different of a guy so that, you know, they bring him in and they, you, know, you can run the screen game with him. You could even, you know, flare him out and, and put him in pass patterns. We haven't seen that, but we saw that from Davis in high school and stuff. And, you know, that he has the potential of being a slot guy. So it's not like they're the same running back, which was sometimes the case with, with some of the backs in the past where they had very uh, similar uh, abilities. This year it seems like the three freshmen are, are kind of complete different guys, so they can bring a little bit something different on each one. Uh, Shaka, we've got a lot of questions. I mean, USC, two blowout games. They've combined score beat them by 99 points i think but still a lot of people are not satisfied um <laughs> this was a question came in during the game uh during the idaho game it says i don't want to be a debbie downer but uh but you're going to be the vandals marching down the field to start the third quarter is a sin and in spite of the 38 to 9 score at the time of this writing i still don't get the sense that this team has embraced the bully mentality the trojans struggle to sustain long drives I'm not certain that they're they're a run-first offense. On defense, many passes are completed unchallenged and resulting in big gains. They were successful running the ball. They're moving the ball. These are the Vandals. What happens when we play Pac-12 teams? I'd appreciate insight from all of you. Thanks again, George the G. (laughs) Not to be a Debbie Downer, but let me just list off a bunch of things that I don't like. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the one concerning thing w- with them coming out at halftime, it was the second time in a row that it's happened. You know, it's not that big of a deal because that's the only two scores that USC has given up, but it is a, a bit concerning. You know, uh, something to put in the back of your mind if you see Stanford get the ball in the second half and see what they do uh, to see, you know, if the opposing team is making quick adjustments and is taking USC a series, that could cost them down the, down the line, you know, if it, they're in a you know touchdown game rather than a blowout. But I don't think it's something to be really worried about because, you know, they, they're just dominating these teams. 
And a lot of the, the, the concerns that people have had, you know, when I go back and watch the film, I mean, not sustaining long drives. I mean, they had several drives where they, you know, march right down the field. Sometimes it's not hard. It's not easy to sustain a long drive when you pick up 30 yards in a chunk on a, on a run carry from Ronald Jones or you hit Juju Smith for a 50 yard touchdown on the first play. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry that you didn't do it in eight plays, but you know, one play works just as well. Six points is six points. And on the defensive side, a lot of people were concerned about the pass rush. I went back and watched the tape, and, you know, they're saying, oh, there's no pass rush at all. Hey, they only got one sack. I will say that, you know, you would hope that they could get to the quarterback a little bit more. But Arkansas, I mean, uh, Idaho, you know, they passed the ball quickly a lot because USC was getting there. Claude Pallone made an impact really quickly coming back from his injury. And he probably had four pressures, I would say, off the top of my head. A couple of other guys had some uh, QB hits and stuff. So they were they were getting some pressure up there, you know, and that's half the battle. Getting to the quarterback is half the battle. The other half is getting him down. Sometimes it's forcing an incompletion is just as good as, you know, getting back there and getting a big hit on the quarterback. If you rush him and he can't get to the guy that he wants on a third down play, as long as you make the tackle short, it doesn't really matter. You're getting off the field. Uh, so some of the concerns that the fans have had I think are a little overblown. You know, some of them, there's they're more – Okay, let's see how it goes rather than being worried right now about some of the things that have happened. I think USC's played tremendous in the first two games, and we saw that Arkansas State this past weekend when they gave Missouri all they could handle uh, in Jonesboro that, that they're a legit team that's going to be good in the Sun Belt. Idaho, on the other hand, absolutely terrible team. Right. And it's why USC ran a lot of second team guys, a lot of, you know, a lot of walk-ons, every walk-on that was, you know, as Sark called eligible. So everyone that wasn't redshirting or injured got into the game in this past game. So a lot of guys got opportunities this past week and, you know, everyone seemed to make the most of those opportunities. There are a couple guys that, that could have done a little bit more, but you know, everyone had some good plays and that's something that you want to see every week. Yeah, I mean, it, that was a thorough domination. It's hard to, it's, you're really nitpicking, I think, if you're trying to come away with, well, they, they gave, you know, they completed a pass. I, I just don't like that. And it's <laughs> I like, mean, the, with, with Idaho that a couple of years ago, I think they lost to Florida State and they gave up 90 points or something. They're working, getting better. They've had a little bit more talent the past couple of years, but also a lot of times the areas where you, cause a blowout to look even worse is if you get a special teams touchdown or you get some defensive touchdowns and USC got a defensive one against Arkansas state to push that score a little bit farther than it, than it may have uh, actually been because Arkansas state did get some yards and stuff, but against Idaho, they didn't get either one of those. One of the concerns I have had is their, their punt uh, return hasn't been able to generate much of anything outside no. of the, the play that Adore was injured on. And this past week he took a couple big hits um, you know, we'll see how much they work on that this week. It's something that they focus on it, uh, a good portion every week in practice, but they've got to shore it up to, to hold up those gunners a little bit more, uh, rather than letting them get down there and take shots on a Dory and Christian Tober. All right. Here's, uh, Jesse in Seattle, our buddy. Uh, he said he has a few points here. He says it was great to see that they fixed the offensive line issues. Uh, but it was Idaho and I'll reserve judgment until next week versus Stanford pretty common um defense played very well the first half but seemed to really let up in the second half seemed to be real uh reactive and waiting i'll chalk that up to being idaho again and three said did i see them line up in the pistol formation a couple of times or were my, were my eyes deceiving me i think they should run all power plays 
from that formation set. Love the show. Great format. Jesse in Seattle, uh, U.S. Army retired. Yes, I did notice a lot of pistol in this game. Well, not a lot, but a, a good fair amount. I was watching the game about halfway through. I was like, wait a second. Are they running pistol here? Uh, yeah, so they, they like to do downhill running with out of the pistol, you know, get the ball to the back immediately, um, let him do some work. But also they can run play action off that a lot better, it seems like, than out of the necessarily the shotgun, you know, the, the read option type of, of play where you have more options on shorter, ver- shorter uh, throws on the outsides, which they did to Juju because they were giving him – like it seemed like they were giving Juju 25 yards of cushion. Granted, it was 13, but 13 is a ton of yards of cushion <laughs> to be given a guy. Uh, and that's why Cody Kessler threw for, I think, I wrote it down somewhere, but I think it was 276 yards on short passes or behind the line of scrimmage to the line of scrimmage, nothing over the linebackers. And 22 of his completions were on that and you know, they, that's why he was able to rack up so many yards because they were playing so far off to try not to get beat. And then somehow they still got beat deep three times. So don't ask me how that works. That's just how bad Idaho is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they were running some pistol there. Um, you know, they, the defense, they were mixing and matching a lot of guys in the second half. You saw a lot more bodies. Uh, so I'm not really concerned that Idaho moved the ball on one, one or two drives in the second half because after I want to say the second drive of the second half, you know, you saw a lot of starters not playing as much. You know, they're mixing it a little bit. But but a guy like Marvell Tell, you know, freshman safety, he gets 50 plays on defense. Uh, you know, I think that led the team out of anybody. When you see the freshman leading team and number of plays, then you know you're in a blowout. Uh, let's go to Greg in the OC. He says, can you tell me why USC played 14 true freshmen in the first two games? Are all of these young men ready to challenge for meaningful playing time as we tackle Notre Dame and the Pac-12 conference schedule? With a depth at wide receiver, I was surprised to see Devontae Burnett playing against Idaho. Did John Houston Jr. play? Was it more important to to the team to play these players now rather than redshirt them? Thanks, uh, Gregory and OC. I mean, the the most interesting one is obviously Deontay Burnett. We thought he was going to redshirt, you know, not getting in there in the first game. He's a very thin guy. We love seeing his – everyone loves his hands. They're just tremendous. He catches everything thrown his way. However, we thought another year in the weight room get him up. Um, but instead, they threw him in there. And first play, he picks up a third down conversion. Uh, it, it's interesting that he got in there. One person who who might see reps taken away is potentially uh, the combination of, of Jalen Green and – Christian Tober. Christian Tober didn't play very much in this game. I guess to the, the, he only played on two plays actually on offense. And that's probably to the uh, cheers of some of our uh, people on the P who were very upset that Christian Tober was getting thrown the ball on third down, uh, which even though that's not his problem that they wanted to throw the ball to him, that <laughs> you should be blaming Cody for throwing one right a little bit out of the catch radius. Maybe you'll say he should it was a, a drop, you know, off the hand so he stretched out. But another one, the one he threw up the sideline, the Arkansas State game, he had Juju Smith wide open underneath, which I don't know why he went for the flag route on that one. So that one's those are more on the quarterback than necessarily the wide receiver. Don't blame the wide receiver for getting the ball thrown his way. Uh but because of that, you know, you might see Deontay Burnett, you know, start eating into those two guys opportunities in the slot a little bit if he's to play more and more. And if they're going to burn his red shirt, then you would think that they might want to get him involved a little bit more. The two guys that we thought would play potentially, you know, 
highly recruited guys are John Houston Jr. and uh, Ikeely Ross. Neither one of those guys has played. Both are healthy. Ikeely Ross has come back from the shoulder injury, been a full participant in practice, but they haven't used him. So look for those two guys to redshirt. All the other guys, they played a number of snaps, so expect them to, to be in there and to, to make an impact. They need those guys in there to both provide depth and, and to, to be guys that they can count on. I mean, guys like Iman Marshall are going to be either vying for a starting role or a nickel role or just being in there a lot. And like I said, Marvell Tell led the team in, in number of plays on the defensive side. So, and the running backs we've already talked about, those guys are going to get opportunities. Now it's up to them to make the most of it and to also be willing to understand that once you get in the conference play, opportunities are, are get slimmer and slimmer. Uh, so they're going to stick with a tighter rotation, all those types of things. And the freshmen have to understand that. One of the things on Deontay Burnett that I think may play into the reason why they decided not to redshirt him is because they realize they have a bunch of older guys that are going to be gone in a year and a half. They want to get him up to speed, especially because they know they have another group of, uh, of wide receivers that if the recruiting class goes as expected that are coming in. So why waste a year and have Deontay Burnett in the same class uh, grade-wise or academic, uh, athletically-wise, I mean, with the six to seven wide receivers that could be coming in? Why not cause a little bit of separation in the in the in the scholarships there by having him play now? I think that might play into it as well. And uh, Isaiah Langley, I, um, Sark talked about him today that he's been working with the scout team, but because like a guy like Kevon Seymour gets injured, they could he's been impressive. They could bring him out of the the kind of redshirt world. So that could be another true freshman that plays. Yeah, and and uh, Isaiah Langley would be best if he was a redshirt because. I think he needs that year of development. However, with the numbers they have at cornerback, and he not that he is uh, as bad as an Idaho cornerback or anything like that, getting dusted by Juju <laughs> on a, a simple stutter route. Uh, but you know, I think he'd be best if he had another year of development. But with the numbers, they might have to go to him because when you when Adore went down in the first game, you saw that, that the cornerback rotation was a three man rotation with with Chris Hawkins stepping in some to to give him a fourth guy. Uh, so we'll see if, you know, if someone were to go down with, with a season in an injury, knock on one, hope that doesn't happen for anyone. But if that were the case, then maybe they would, uh, they would consider moving Langley up and having, you know, an actual two deep at the position. Uh, okay. Here's a kind of a long one. He said, first of all, congrats to the football team on their victory Saturday night. I streamed it on Pac 12 network, wish DirecTV and Pac 12 network could cement a deal sooner than later. Uh, I saw some improvements on pass protection. The offensive line looked to be more in sync. The defense was outstanding. Love the blitzing up the middle and overall aggressiveness. If there's one weak area on defense that I noticed is coverage of receivers just beyond the linebackers, particularly in the middle of the field. Not sure if they meant to play zone due to the game being a blowout or they were just missing assignments. I saw several easy pass completions by Idaho and Arkansas State across the middle. Could this be an issue against dangerous offenses slash quarterbacks? I'd love to see the DBs play man uh, covered, especially at the line of scrimmage. With the talented DBs uh, we have, I feel they're physical enough to bump and disrupt the opponent's timing patterns and fast enough to cover if the receivers break loose. Thoughts? Love the podcast. Fight on. Frank Juju Espinoza. He's in Fresno and a SoCal transplant. I think they played a more zone than, you know, uh, than necessarily they may play in the future. Uh, they gave guys an opportunity, you know, they to get to the pass rusher, 
I mean, to get it to the the passer with the with the rush and try to give those guys opportunities with you know playing a little bit of zone and you got young linebackers as well, guys like Cam Smith. So maybe his drop is a yard off or something adds makes the window a little bit a uh, little bit more open than it would be later in the season as he progresses and stuff like that. But I think you know most of that was in the second half, I believe. I don't remember Idaho moving the ball much in the first half at all, and you know. A lot of those were plays when you have a walk-on Matt Lopes in his safety, and you have uh, later in the game you have Ruben Peters in playing uh, a walk-on, playing linebacker and stuff like that. So I think just the mixing and matching, that's, once you get your set lineups, your set rotations, then I think there's going to be less communication issues, which is usually what creates a hole in a zone more than anything else, is if someone goes one or two steps the other way, then – you know, what they're used to playing with another guy. So I think those things will be short up as we go farther and farther into the season. I think it was just a product of who you're playing and not trying to show too much as well. You know, there weren't any exotic blitzes or anything like that. USC brought six, I believe. I only remember seeing once that they brought more than, you know, a, a four or five man rush. So I, I think you'll see a lot more of that in the future as well. And and that'll contribute. That's more when you have to play man is when you bring a blitz and your guys got to lock up one-on-one on the outside. Biggie, you, you see him often playing press. You know, they really like him doing that. And he was even working on it after practice again today, you know, working on his jam ability. He's a very physical guy, and that's what he's best at. So they give him the option to go up and, you know, jam on the line of scrimmage. And, you know, he's throwing some guys off the line that way. But you will see more and more man as the season progresses when they uh, unve- un- uh, unveil. 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 There's the word I'm looking for. Okay. Unveil uh, some of those blitzes and some of the more uh, some of the different stuff that they have up to sleep. All right, and we got one last one from Phil. He says, "Aloha, Ryan. I'm a Trojan fan, originally from Southern California, now living in the Aloha State." I wanted to share how much I enjoy the show and how greatly I appreciate the honest approach to the program. Well, thanks, Phil, for that. We appreciate that. Um, two questions. I'll give you the first one. Which NFL quarterback do you compare Cody Kessler? Does Cody Kessler best compare to? Ooh, that would be it's tough. I don't even have one off the top of my head. Uh, like I don't Drew- watch enough NFL yeah. To, to know. Usually I'm working on Sundays, so uh, <laughs> watching USC tape and different stuff. So I, I, I get, catch tidbits of games, but not enough to compare, actually, to, to anyone off the top of my head. I, w- I mean, I'm thinking maybe like a Drew Brees a little bit. Um, you know, he's not the biggest guy, but Co- you know, Cody's bigger. I mean, Cody's six foot two, so he's a little bit bigger than that. Um, they keep listing him at six foot one, and Dan really gets <laughs> mad that they do that, but he's really more, he's closer to six two. I'm I'm not real good at the whole uh kind of comparison thing, but yeah, it's, it's I, here's the attributes that I think Cody does well, and someone else can maybe you know chime in uh, on the P with with who they think fits this best. But he throws really really well on the run. He has good pocket awareness. You know he he moves around the pocket pretty well. Uh, I mean, not quite the Tom Brady or or Ben Roethlisberger ability to just shrug a guy off um, or just always know where the rush is. But he does well, you know, moving in in between the the pocket and, and making throws that way. And then he also is great in the in the short to intermediate game. And the the deep ball, he doesn't have as much touch as maybe some other guys. But he does really well when the passes instead of being a straight fly. If it's a deep 
post or some something where he can lead the receiver. Yeah, he can throw it to the left or right rather than you know straight over the top. I think he has a much better deep ball that way than necessarily the the deep fly. Yeah, I agree with you on those. I mean, there's the, the touch passes I think are there. He doesn't have that kind of hose that's going to throw the, you know, get that quick out to or whatever to the sideline. Yeah. And just gets there in, in a heartbeat like you see with a lot of the NFL guys. It's just Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't have the Jamarcus Russell power arm, <laughs> but he does have something that Jamarcus Russell never had, which was a brain. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> High football IQ too. So, uh and then so his second one was what is your opinion on Sark utilizing players outside of their natural position, such as Turek and Cravens uh, playing beneficial positions to the team, but not necessarily the best for their respective transition to the NFL? Love listening to the show and keep up the great work. Mahalo from Phil. Now, I don't know. I'm not an offensive line guru. I, you know, I can tell you a little bit about offensive line. I don't know what Turk's best position is per se as far as NFL evaluators. But people love him as a center. Uh, I mean, he's tall for a center. That's one of the things that's been a little bit of a knock on him. But he stays slow coming out of his break and stuff. And, you know, Paul Petrino called him probably the best center he's ever seen on tape or something, I believe. Uh, so they, a lot of people are, are, have been very complimentary of him as a center. So I don't know that necessarily tackle is his best position. Maybe center is, is where he should be. I mean, it worked out for Marcus Martin. He was a guard at USC and then moved to center his, his last year, his junior year. And then he went in the NFL and now he's in the NFL as a guard. Same thing with Colette Holmes. He, he moved from, I believe, I can't remember if he was a tackler guard, but moved inside to the center and he's found a career in the NFL that way. The thing about Turek is that he's so intelligent as well to be able to make the calls to get everyone in the right place on the offensive line that a lot of teams love him because of that ability as a center. So I think maybe he's in the right spot. I'm not sure. I mean, that's something that, that I guess you would have to ask an NFL personnel and see who drafts him and what they try to do with him. Sua, on the other hand, I think he can fit into that linebacker role the, the same way that Thomas Davis at Carolina, who was a safety at Georgia, uh, Brian Erlacher. I don't think that he's going to necessarily move into the middle linebacker like Erlacher did, but also the same thing with Shaq Thompson. If a team wants to utilize quicker linebackers on the edge, and I think Sua is in the perfect fit for that. Does he move back to safety at the next level? Again, I think it depends on the team and the scheme that they're trying to run and where they think he's best fit at. Um, if they, you know, if a team says we want guys that can cover in space because of how the NFL is going to so much more of a pass happy league, I think Sua is right there in the perfect spot for him as an outside linebacker. So that's another one where. Maybe he's best, uh, you know, maybe his future lies at safety, but it's not like it's a, uh, a a clear-cut thing where they're just obviously like, for example, Tim Tebow, no one thought that he was ever going to make it in the NFL as a quarterback. And, you know, why didn't he get, you know, some snaps under center or do some things that were, were better uh, for his future at Florida? Uh, he always took sh- snaps out of the shotgun, so he wasn't prepared for that when he went to the NFL. It's not like it's that type of thing with, with Sark. He's given the guys opportunities at positions that they may play in the future. Whether they do or not, it, it's still up in the air. Well, Shotgun Spratling, uh, he helps us out on uscfootball.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at ShotgunSPR. Uh, great stuff, buddy. It was great uh, catching up with you and looking uh, forward to seeing you this weekend when USC takes on Stanford. Yeah, it should be a fun one. Uh, another 
uh, Saturday nights in the Coliseum. The lights will be coming on a little bit later. Hopefully, uh, by the fourth quarter, as many people have as have left for the first two games, can can leave for the fourth <laughs> quarter and, and be traffic and all that because USC is way up on Stanford. But but given the recent history of this series, I don't know that that's going to happen. Uh, we expect a you know a, a tough, hard nose fight with with Stanford every year, and it should be. Uh, Another one yet again this year. All right. Well, great shotgun sprawling. Thanks very much for coming on. And everyone else, thank you very much. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.